Hello and welcome to Map Bites episode 140. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're at the mercy of a tyrannical totalitarian taskmaster. Did you write this by any chance, trying to trip me up? Me dear? No dear. Oh yes you did. You tell tell rat. Let's get on. Uh, Apple are on the case of those they accuse of leaking product details. No details of exactly who received these cease and desist letters, though. But we do have confirmation from a confirmed leaker that they haven't received one. Go figure. I also notice there's no mention of all the times Apple have themselves been behind the leaking of stories to their favourite journalists. You know, often done to pre-test public reaction to stuff they're considering. If the reaction was good, whatever it was was subsequently released. And if the reaction wasn't good, without exception, they denied they ever intended to take that path. I'd rather there were just no leaks full stop, not just the ones that Apple would rather didn't happen. I actually like to be surprised during an event. And obviously, (laughs) I mean pleasantly surprised, not surprised by the horror of it all. But I really think Apple should get their own house in order first. It's become Apple's leaky cauldron, hasn't it? Now, they could be trying to sort it if reports from a couple of weeks back are actually true. What reports? Oh, brace yourself. It was reported that Timmy was planning on making employees wear police-grade body cams in an attempt to stop the leaks. I hope it's intellectual property leaks he's referring to, as I wouldn't want footage of any other kind. TMI, Mike. TMI. That report appeared on hundreds of sites, not just Apple news sites, but news sites generally. But I only found one of those reports updated afterwards. And they updated it because according to Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, this isn't actually true. But anybody Googling it would doubtless find the other stories first and potentially believe it. Now, there's not much in the way of evidence either way, to be honest. None of the outlets covering the story let that get in the way of a potentially good story, though. Uh, The fact that any Apple customer us included, would entertain it as potentially being true, says more about what Apple have become than all their denials. Because back in the Steve Jobs era, we wouldn't have even considered anything that ludicrous to be true. Now, you at least consider it, even if you subsequently dismiss it. And if it is or was true, I can only imagine how the already disgruntled employees felt about that one. I can't see it working in practice anyway. They could just as effectively leak stuff from home. Don't mention working from home. Timmy doesn't like it. Maybe that's why. Well, Apple claims secrecy is in their DNA. Apple. Not for a long, long time has it been. Their other rationale, apparently, according to yet another of one of these stories, was that leaks hurt third party case manufacturers. They make cases to the wrong size or spec and lose money. Really? Apple don't seem to have much concern for anything or anybody but their bottom line, in my opinion. So that being a major reason, I don't believe it. No, not that one. (laughs) Oh, in other news, I did my duty and listened to the earnings call in its entirety. There's an hour I'll never get back. There were a few gems, though, like Timmy saying that Apple had witnessed 
an, quote, uneven recovery from COVID-19, which sounded like a hat tip to the work from home thing to me. He did make mention of companies using AppleKit to underpin business continuity. I laughed out loud. <laughs> sounded to me like it. what he was saying was, we're enabling other companies to facilitate working from home. <laughs> Not too keen on drinking their own champagne on that one, though. He said he was looking forward to in-person interactions. I can honestly say I'm not. I have not left the safe confines of MacBytes headquarters since the 6th of March 2020. And I can honestly say I'm living my best life here. Then Timmy mentioned a healthier and more equitable world. Unless you want to work from home, of course, and then you're stuffed. Now, regarding Apple One, he said, Apple One, because it makes enjoying our subscription services easier. Timmy, nobody enjoys paying a subscription. He then continued and said, I know it's an earnings call, but still, Apple One is a, and I quote, great ramp for future services. Hmm. Adding more to it then. And subscriptions are a great customer benefit. Well, they are if the customer wants all of the services. But looking to our own situation, our ISP Virgin will give us a discount on our Internet if we take their telephone and TV services too. What part of we don't have a phone or a TV they don't understand, we haven't discovered yet. But of course, it's very annoying to know that there's a discount available, but only if you take additional services. And trust me when I say here, Apple can't even give away their services. I cancelled the free almost two years of Apple TV Plus last week, never having watched a thing. Then, just as you thought it couldn't get any more ridiculous, it became the battle of the earnings calls this week. Apple versus Elon Musk. Two particular bones of contention for Mr. Musk. Apple's use of cobalt in batteries and Apple's walled garden. I'm old enough to remember these earnings calls being all about the finance and not about the publicity opportunities for the CEO. A CEO should be seen and not heard. You never know what's going on in someone's life, though. Timmy might be down to his last half trillion. So come on, boys, as they say, be kind to each other. Leave the criticism of Timmy to Elaine. I merely point out where his words and his actions fail to match. He could always come on the show and explain himself. Strangely, still no sign of that happening. The funniest thing was the story about Elon Musk demanding Timmy's job. This was when there were rumblings of Apple buying Tesla. And one of the conditions was must becoming Apple CEO. Sometimes there are no words for the stupidity that abounds with these guys. Anyway, with Elon and Timmy slugging it out between themselves, you might have missed the Spotify earnings call. They lost 20 million in the last quarter, but aren't worried. Quote, for Spotify, profitability is not a priority. Nice position to be in. It's all about the growth for them, apparently, which is fine. But you can't grow forever. You certainly can't rely on growth alone to turn a profit. At some point, you've got to make a profit with the user base that you've got. Otherwise, surely it just becomes a pyramid scheme. Oh, I give up with them, I do. Oh, to, anyway, the, the working from home thing rumbles on. <laughs> this one's going to run and run. 
The latest rumblings about the working from home thing are the news that Apple is cracking down on talk about it. That's the working from home thing on internal Slack channels. There I was mentally writing the headlines for that one. Apple's dystopian despot rides again. Timmy, the tyrannical totalitarian taskmaster. The internal Slack channels are supposed to be solely related to work topics. But until now, Apple had reportedly turned a blind eye to channels related to wider ranging topics, including the pros and cons of working from home. But no more. Channels other than those dedicated to work topics are being removed. Is it true? Well, we've no idea. Apple aren't going to confirm or deny that, are they? But the most interesting part of the entire thing to me was Apple are using Slack for internal comms. Really? Honestly, that surprised me. But back to closing the working from home channel down. It did remind me of way back when I was working as a lawyer. I'd not long since started working at this particular company who will remain nameless to protect the guilty. The practice was we'd all arrive early to open the post. Now, that might sound a tad overkill, but it wasn't unusual to have several bags of it each day, probably over a thousand individual items. Each letter had a reference on it and part of the reference was indicating which lawyer was working on the case. So sorting the post meant allocating each item to the pigeonhole for the relevant person. It usually took at least an hour, sometimes more, all of which happened before the official start time of 9am. We weren't paid overtime for this. It was just what happened. The boss's father worked at the business in a flexible capacity. He had no official title other than being a pain in the proverbial. Best described, I think, as a roving narc. Well, after the post was sorted, folks wanted a drink. Now, while gin might have been welcome, I do mean tea or coffee. Bossy's dad? Not pleased. After a couple of rather rude comments to the effect that people should have been working, wait for this, he unplugged and hid the kettle until lunchtime. This, despite those very same people giving upwards of an hour of their time free every day sorting the mail. That one nearly resulted in a mass walkout. This was the same man who didn't believe I was going to your grand's funeral. It was a bitterly cold day in December in a windswept graveyard. Not exactly my idea of a great day out. But it only got worse as halfway through the ceremony, I see a figure pop up from behind a nearby gravestone and just as quickly pop down again. I thought I was seeing things, but I should have known better. It really was my boss's dad who had followed us to the cemetery just to make sure I really was going to a funeral. Something must happen to addle the brains of those elevated to management positions. Now you know why I work for myself. I reckon this working from home thing will rumble on. Uh, working from home has not adversely affected the bottom line. See the earnings goal. And Apple might prefer everybody on site, but that ship sailed. They are, however, looking at purchasing even more on site space. A production campus for Apple TV Plus programming joy. I doubt I'll be watching anything, but there you go. And that wasn't even the only proclamation from Apple this week. No, we, ha we have a quote. Starting with the customer release of iOS 15, iPad OS 15, Mac OS Monterey, TV OS 15 and Watch OS 8 this fall, 
Some SiriKit intent domains will be deprecated and will no longer be supported in all new and existing OS releases. Not exactly an explanation prepared for a wider audience. For developers, yes. For anybody else, no. Do we all know precisely what an intent domain is? I'm not exactly sure myself. Reading between the lines, it would appear to mean you'll be even more stubbornly resistant to my needs than usual. Not all bad, then. See what I mean? I just can't get the staff. Seems to me that it's back to Apple and their control, because from what I read, a lot of it is to do with Siri controlling third-party apps. So, for example, you won't be able to ask Siri to add a task to a, a certain to-do app, but Siri will still be able to do that in Apple's own reminder app. To be honest, I haven't actually actively used Siri since before lockdown. I used to say, Siri, send a text to Elaine Giles. I'm just going to pause there to see if anything happens on my watch. Let everybody's phones calm down, you mean, from trying to send me a text. Thanks for that, Mike. It, Siri's actually ignored my watch, didn't say anything. Yeah, I, I used to say... You didn't, you didn't have the H-E-Y. Oh, I didn't, did I? No, you see, it's that long you've forgotten to, to actually how to use the thing. <laughs> Never mind, carry on. No one will notice. So anyway, I I used to say H-E-Y-S-I-R-I, send a text to Elaine Giles when I was stuck in traffic. These days, I actually find myself telling him to shut up as he randomly says something on my watch during my training sessions. As bad as the A-Lady who, as we said last week, has ears like a bat. And the voice of a shrew. Apple will have some kind of plan. There will be some kind of logic. They just won't share it yet. Which means endless speculation and concern. Anyway, after last week's news of Apple's Safari redesign not exactly being welcomed with open arms, this week brings news of a dev recreating the Safari version that shipped in Snow Leopard. Oh, Snow Leopard. There was a stable OS. Snow Leopard was positively perfect. It's been downhill ever since then. Well, this recreation runs on Biggles and it really does look like the old Safari. And it's worth a look just for old time's sake. The most interesting point was another of the projects that this developer has been responsible for, which is called Old OS. And it's a recreation of iOS 4 that runs within an app on the iPhone. Just a minute. Didn't IDOS get slung out of the App Store for executing code? Doesn't this do exactly the same? Yes, but it's Apple code. That makes it worse. Executing code and copyright infringement. What I will say is the Apple control machine comes out again. Maybe this developer complied with Apple's leak policy. Or maybe it's okay to create an app simulating an old Apple OS, just not a Microsoft OS. It's only a matter of time. It seems Apple's process of approving apps these days is solely based on what's in the tech news. And while we're on the subject of Safari, that hideous iOS 15 design that we mentioned last week turns out to be remarkably similar to a project that Google worked on for Chrome. The difference is Google dropped it. Yes, even Google realised that sometimes stuff really isn't broken. Tinkering with established interfaces and UI expectations really isn't a good idea. I mean, advanced users are probably used to flying around an app and know where things are and don't want them moving. And muggles, tech muggles, 
they're not going to triple tap on, on, on a secret something in the corner to make something happen because they're not going to know it's there. But with this, I wonder how similar it actually was. If Google got there first, that brings up an interesting question. Was there a leak from Google? Oh, there's something to contemplate. And while we contemplate that, there was breaking news from Twitter this week. They are channeling their inner shopping with Elaine. Yes, you will be able to buy items via Twitter profiles. Be still my beating heart. Insert sarcasm here. Twitter are late to this integrated shopping game, which is fine by me. Needless to say, it's US only and only then if you have an iOS device and speak English. So let's just say global domination is a while off yet. Shopping orders in 280 characters. The future, obviously. I sincerely hope Tesco and Asda don't try it, given our experiences. Oh, and Morrison's, they're, they're just as bad. They can't seem to do it with a five-page order, never mind 280 characters. Can't see that happening. Some of our long-term listeners may remember my desire to access my work calendar on my personal devices, to the extent that it became a bit of a holy grail. In fact, the title of MacBytes episode 83 is Mike Thomas and the Holy Grail. You might be wondering why I want to check my work calendar from my personal devices that I have paid for during my personal time that the company aren't paying me for. Well, it was a practical reason. We'd be out and about and you'd get an email about an Adobe gig or an Apple event or even, dare I say it, a Microsoft event. And you'd say, what are you doing on such and such a day? Even though I had an iPhone, the way our corporate email and calendar was configured, I wasn't able to access them on my phone. I wasn't able to access them on my personal Mac either. I'd have to fire up my work laptop and run Outlook. In fact, way back in 2007, when I joined the company, I didn't have a laptop. Most people, including myself, had desktop PCs. We didn't get laptops until about 2010. So even if we weren't out and about, even if we were at home, I wouldn't be able to answer you until the next time I was in work. In 2014, the company moved to cloud-based email and calendar, which means that I can access my calendar from any device. On my Mac, although there is the built-in calendar app, BusyCal is my preferred calendar client. No specific reason for that. I think it's partly to do with muscle memory. Command space for Alfred and then type BU or BUS. It was actually straightforward to add my work calendar to BusyCal. In the settings, I specified a Microsoft 365 Exchange calendar and entered the username and password. And that was it. BusyCal updates in real time too, in both directions. But as we covered in MacBytes 136, BusyCal has gone subscription. And whilst it's working today, without paying for a subscription, I don't get any more updates. And once I install Biggles or Monty, which I know I'll have to at some point, who knows if the version that I currently have installed of BusyCal will continue to work. So if I choose to no longer use BusyCal, one option to access my work calendar from my Mac would be the Mac OS Calendar app. But I decided to investigate whether I could access it via Google Calendar in a browser. 
That way I'm not relying on any calendar app, built in or otherwise. Also, theoretically, I could share it with you and then you'd no longer have to ask me what I was doing on such and such a date. I looked through a few forums and blogs and eventually found some step-by-step -step instructions which I've put a link to in the show notes. It all sounded so straightforward. Log into my Work365 account via a browser, select the calendar, click Share and select the email address to share with. That generates an ICS file. Go to Google Calendar in a browser and use the ICS file link to subscribe to the 365 calendar. If only it was that simple. The way that our company has configured 365, when I click share, I only had an option show when I'm busy. The option view all details wasn't available. And what that means is when I look at my work calendar in Google, I can see the events, but in the details of the event, it just says busy. I don't see the details, so I don't know if it's training or a meeting or a free block of time. A second problem that I came across was to do with colours. In Outlook, my calendar events are colour coded via Outlook categories. Different colours for different things. Red for delivering training, orange for support and admin and green for free. These colours don't come through to Google. And a third problem, which was mentioned in many of the forums, is that the changes made in Outlook don't show in Google Calendar immediately. There can often be a delay of several hours. A possible solution to the third problem, which I haven't tried, is to use Power Automate, which is an automation service from Microsoft, a bit similar to IFTTT or If This Then That, used to be called Microsoft Flow. You create an automation that says every time you add, update or delete an event in your 365 calendar, automatically add, update or delete in the Google Calendar. However, it's not perfect. Recurring events will show up in the Google Calendar as individual events and it only works on items added, amended or deleted after the automation has been set up. So none of the existing items in my work calendar will be pulled across. Plus, not having tried it, I don't know whether it would solve the other two problems. So I've talked about the ways that won't work. What about a way that will 100% definitely work? Yes, there is a way, but it doesn't involve Google Calendar or any calendar app. If I log in to the Microsoft 365 website from my Mac using my corporate credentials and click the calendar icon on the left hand side, I will see my work calendar with full details of all my appointments. But actually, even that's not 100% perfect. I like to see my work appointments in the context of the whole day. Yeah, I know we talk about work life balance, but the reality is. And this is true whether you work from home or not. Work and home can no longer be 100% separated. Say someone asks me if I can attend a work meeting at four o'clock. Well, four o'clock is my normal finish time, but I'm prepared to be flexible. Before I say yes, I'd need to check my non-work commitments. So I've got something happening at six o'clock. 
it's going to be a bit of a squeeze to have a one hour meeting finishing at five, then walk the dog and eat dinner. Or maybe I need to attend a non-work related meeting during the day, which I would do during my lunch break. But depending on my training commitments, I'd be flexible when I take my lunch. In other words, I need to be able to see my work calendar and my personal calendars at the same time. And yes, I said calendars, plural. As many of you know, we have several calendars. And if you don't know why and want to hear the full story as to why, check out MacBytes 117, Bravo Sierra and the Science of the Bin Collection. To be able to see my work calendar and my personal calendars at the same time, I'd need to have two browser windows open side by side. One showing my Work365 calendar and the other showing my personal calendars. That's why BusyCal is ideal, because I can see all my appointments in the one app on the one screen. I know what will happen. As soon as BusyCal breaks, I'll have no choice but to shell out for a subscription. Or use the built-in calendar app, and with that comes retraining my muscle memory. So far, I've talked about the Mac, but what about accessing my work calendar on iOS? One option is Outlook, but that brings a number of issues. The only way to access my work calendar on my personal iPhone or iPad is to install a mobile device management app called AirWatch. It's supposed to ensure that the device complies with the company's mobile security policies. If the phone gets lost or stolen, it allows them to perform a remote wipe. They assure us that it will only wipe work-related stuff, but I'm not taking the risk. I'd have the same issue with any other mobile client, BusyCal, Fantastical, or the built-in calendar app. So that leaves me with just a single option, using the 365 website in a browser. And that's what I use. So there we go, something that should have been so simple, but isn't. If you listen to Marooned at MapBytes headquarters or join us on MapBytes After Hours, you'll be aware that a while back, Elaine had an issue with Keynote. But for the benefit of those who aren't aware, why don't you share what happened? It was Friday the 13th. As I was saying, it was Friday the 13th of November. Well, it was when this nightmare reached its zenith, but it began a while further back than that. Back at the beginning of After Hours, we ran the entire show from a handwritten running order stuck to my desk on a post-it note. <laughs> if you can remember that far back, we'd intended MacBytes After Hours to be a single show. But you guys had so much fun, you demanded another. And before we knew it, MacBytes After Hours was a thing, a weekly thing. It wasn't until show six that I decided that the running it from a post-it note thing wasn't going to work long term. So I created a very basic presentation in Keynote with a single slide for each section of the show. I have it configured where I can start the presentation and then hide it and then bring it back when needed without all the attendant fuss that I see with most online presentations. You know, the can you see my slides thing for 10 minutes. So from then on, every week, there was a presentation to guide us all through the content of the show. And as time went on, the number of slides increased, but it varied according to the content. There's always the week at MacBytes headquarters, though. So there's never less than 80 to 100 slides. 
and that worked well for over 18 months. Then, back in July last year, I was prepping for a Mac Bites After Hours show and everything was ready to go. I presented the show, we wrapped up, you went off to bed, and I worked for a while longer doing all the show wrap-up. I had Keynote open and I noticed that it looked like there were some slides missing. But that couldn't be because I'd already presented those slides. It looked like I'd opened an old version of the presentation, but since I hadn't closed it, that couldn't be right. So I carefully went through the slides and confirmed that there was indeed a swathe of them missing. And I thought I was going mad. So I checked the recording of the session that I'd literally just delivered. And obviously, they were in there then. However, they had since vanished. No amount of time machining would recover them, and there was nothing to do but face the horror of having to recreate them all. What a living nightmare. I calculated that the previous 36 hours of working keynote had been lost. I figured it must be an iCloud issue. I mean, every other bag of hurt in Apple land can usually be laid at iCloud's door. So no option, even after the most detailed research of all the alternative approaches to potentially recovering these slides, than actually to recreate it all. Be assured, very bad words were said. So over the weekend, I put in place a backup strategy to try and ensure this never happened again, where the file would be saved every 15 minutes. All previous versions of the file were saved too. So Keynote taking one on itself wouldn't render the backups useless. And all was well for a few weeks. Until it just randomly happened again. Surely, no worries though, as the backup plan was in place. Well, yes and no. I did have those backups, but since it nuked the slides about 10 minutes before I went live, there was an issue. The majority of the slides in the presentation, and thus the majority of the work, had been added between 8.15 and 9pm. So unpacking the backups and trying to recreate what was still missing minutes from going live wasn't going to be easy. Somehow I managed to salvage enough to go live, but this couldn't go on. More investigation over the weekend showed it wasn't just happening on iCloud. Saving files from any of the iWork apps were behaving erratically, even if they were saved locally. So in addition to all of that happening, there was this persistent saving error too. The file had unsaved changes, but refused point blank to save or save as or anything else either. Eventually, I persuaded it to export to PowerPoint, though, which was useful for this Keynote user. One of the issues was that the file had somehow become marked as a stationary pad. That's a macOS specific feature that means opening the file results in a copy of it being generated. So at this stage, I'd got missing slides, the inability to save the file, magically multiplying files, and I just didn't want to go down the PowerPoint route. So I reconfigured the backups to run every five minutes. I manually ran save as multiple times each working session, making copious copies of the file. And again, I could just about cope. All was sort of well until November 2020, when it did it again. Have you noticed? It's always on show day. It's as if it knew the day to wind me up. Anyway, I did my research. Same thing happening in multiple apps over many years for multiple users. And it made me wonder why I hadn't seen it up to this point. Uh, best ideas put forward from people were that sandboxing seemed to be a factor. 
This exact same thing happened to a colleague of mine in the summer, right between the issues I was having in the July and then later. It also happened to a usually great presenter who seemed to be having a really off day. He struggled through a presentation and it wasn't until the end that he explained his slides had vanished between him finishing the creation of the presentation and actually delivering it. And yes, he was using Keynote. And yes, he moved to PowerPoint for his next session. At this point, I was done. As much as I didn't even want to think of PowerPoint, Keynote was just no longer viable. So you made the decision, bye bye Keynote and hello PowerPoint then? Well, I couldn't really say goodbye to Keynote if PowerPoint wasn't going to be a viable alternative. Couldn't have been much worse, but you get what I mean. Unfortunately, the timing meant I was attempting to switch apps at a really busy time. It would have been much better to wait until Christmas, which by this stage was only a few weeks away. But the way it was going, it was unlikely that both Keynote and I would last that long. I didn't actually hold out much hope for PowerPoint. I'd used it on Windows, but not since the late 90s. It wasn't an experience I was keen to relive. It was probably a 300 plus slide extravaganza dedicated to sharing the joys of UML that did that. I pondered the whole day after the third slide eating incident. I also drew up a plan similar to the one that I use when an app is sunsetted. It contains a list of the must-have features any replacement app would need to have, followed by a list of the nice-to-have features. Then there's always the fun bit. During the testing, I might find features that the original app didn't have. The ooh, yes please list. Ooh. What happens if a critical feature is missing in the intended replacement app? If it doesn't have one of the must-have features, that's not necessarily as fatal as it sounds. It could have a different feature that can be persuaded to replace the feature that I actually need. So Keynote has magic move, but PowerPoint has morph. They're not exactly the same, but near enough. So what happened next? Sunday arrived after the great Keynote fail of Friday the 13th and the testing began. I actually started testing at the point of delivery. So Keynote uses three screens, which is completely useless. You can determine what's on each one of them and you can swap them around. But ultimately, you can't have a blank screen. You can't just say, put the slides on the centre monitor and then put the presenter's notes on one of the other screens and leave the third one free. People will tell you that you can, but it's just blank. It doesn't actually let you see your desktop and see other applications. I know there's now that option of presenting to a window, but that in itself is almost as useless because you then have to switch the source in your delivery software. So let's just say it's not seamless. Now, PowerPoint actually behaved better. It only used two screens, leaving my third screen free for the broadcast platform. The burning question was, which two screens did PowerPoint use? Let's say it had a mind of its own. No amount of persuasion would convince it to use the central screen for the slides and the one on the left for the presenter's notes. I decided in the end it would be quicker to concur with its decision and move all my broadcast stuff to the left-hand screen. So with that decision, PowerPoint passed the initial delivery test. Comically, when I got a new Mac in December, it decided to use the central screen and the left monitor. So it was back to how you were then. Together with those presentation options at the point of delivery, some of the features on the critical list were text styles, which 
It turned out PowerPoint didn't have, but again, there were workarounds for it. Tables, but not tables to show data. I wanted to use the tables for layout. So I was wondering how flexible those tables would be. Uh, the answer was they were OK. Uh, then master slides, which eventually turned out to be better than Keynote had. Then shapes, which PowerPoint has for longer, had a much wider range of shapes than Keynote. Keynote caught up with that. So they're much more mature in terms of how they work than the Keynote ones. And then there was an odd one. I needed everything to be as navigable as possible with shortcuts. Obviously, different keyboard shortcuts than Keynote, but manageable and supplemented with a few keyboard maestro macros. On the nice to have list, I had templates. Keynote has the concept of themes, which is the look of a presentation. But a template actually has pre-configured content. So for me, with Matt Bikes After Hours, that would be opening slides, the running order, the check your resolution slide, and at the end, what's coming next week. So all of that's actually content that while you could use a theme to get the look of it, you're in essence creating the slides from scratch all the time. So templates would have been a much better bet. And PowerPoint has both content templates and themes. So that actually worked out well. Uh, you'd mentioned smart art, which is a very powerful data driven type of artwork. Um, so I did put that on the nice to have list, although even a year on, I've not actually used it yet. But it's there should I need it. Then there was the ability to lock items, which seems obvious, but except for items on the background, PowerPoint doesn't actually have any item level locking, which is unusual. Multi-level sections which I'd got used to in Keynote. In Keynote, you just nest the slides and fold them up. In PowerPoint, it has proper sections that you can give names to, but only at a single level. And to be honest, it rarely remembers the open and closed status of those sections. But I determined I could live with it. So you sat down on, say, a Monday morning, having ditched Keynote to make your first presentation. What was running through your mind? Just sit down and start using it. Oh, would that it could have been that simple. It's not as easy as you'd think to switch, especially not after 14 years with Keynote. And I wasn't a fan of PowerPoint before I moved to the Mac. Once I did move to the Mac, I deliberately didn't install anything from Microsoft. But once the decision was made, I could technically use PowerPoint moving forward. I tested the idea of switching by recreating the presentation from the MacBytes After Hours show the week before, the one where the slides had vanished. I was actually expecting way more friction and slowdown in productivity than I did experience. It went so well, I was actually looking forward to creating that first full presentation for MacBytes After Hours for the following week. Apart from not having your slides eaten, what other benefits have you gained from using PowerPoint? I think you mean... What was on the ooh list? PowerPoint really has moved on since the late 90s. The content templates are a time saver. The image features are amazing. There's a dedicated option to crop an image to a 16-9 ratio, which is the same ratio as my slides. You can swap images from the clipboard. And once you get your head around the themes, you can work magic inside the templates. I love the integrated stock images. There's also an integrated icon library, which is in addition to the basic shapes. Uh, it can be extended with add-ins and it's purring away alarmingly well. 
Did you convert every one of your Keynote files to PowerPoint? No, that way madness lies. I probably will convert the earlier MapBytes after hours presentations because I archive the slides with the show in Notion and having images of the slides is actually a great help. Now, I could simply open them up in Keynote and export from there, but Keynote doesn't let you alter the size of the resulting images created during the export, whereas PowerPoint does. When I need to reuse a previous slide, I just open the Keynote file and either copy the elements and paste them into PowerPoint or export the slides as a PowerPoint file themselves and then just open it up in PowerPoint. Are there any niggles that remain in PowerPoint? Oh, always. <laughs> uh, there's no way to lock items. You can't export with transparency. While the sections are great, you are limited to that single level and there's no option whatsoever to add subsections within those top level sections. You can't export stages of a build, which would be really useful for creating images to use in a rolling edit in Camtasia or ScreenFlow. And bizarrely, PowerPoint measures elements in inches and centimetres rather than points or pixels as in Keynote. And I just find that completely illogical, but you get used to it. So, any regrets? No, only that I didn't do it sooner, as soon as Keynote started acting up. I love the features of Keynote, but you can't work with content vanishing or refusing to save. I just sincerely wish Apple would get the basics right before herring off and adding fancy stuff that nobody actually needs. So there you have it. How I killed Keynote, and I'm taking pleasure in PowerPoint. On to MacBytes After Hours. It's another MacBytes After Hours on Friday. Alfred has some new tricks currently in beta, so I'll be demoing those. We're also starting a new series dedicated to Scrivener, ready for NaNoWriMo, which is the National Novel Writing Month in the autumn. Now, I never write a novel, but I do work on a dedicated project for the month. Probably won't come as a surprise. I expect that to be MacBytes the book this year. But what are you doing? More on pivot tables in Excel. This week, slices and calculated fields. One extra special thing to slip in, which is Ship 30 for 30, which is a 30-day writing challenge. Now, I've just finished Ship 30 for 30 June cohort, where I wrote and published 30 atomic essays in 30 days. It started out as a personal challenge, but it was actually fun. And the ship sails again on the 8th of August. So if you fancy joining me, use the link in the show notes and you will save $20 on the cost. And if you do decide to join, ping me and we can share the cruise. Um, I'd love to see what you guys write about me. It'll doubtless be tech related. In fact, the last one was was random content for 30 days. But this time I already have a very cunning plan. So I do hope you follow along um, at worst or at best. Join me. Links in the show notes. And as we mentioned last week, ooh, last week, that sounds good to be able to say. As we mentioned last week, Wednesday saw the curtain brought down on Marooned at MacBytes headquarters. 500 shows in 500 days, a fantastic achievement, even though we say it ourselves. Obviously, it was born out of the pandemic, but it turned into the highlight of each day for us. And we hope for you too. So many fantastic memories and highlights. We will never forget the lady pipe. If you have no idea what that is, you need to catch up on all the fun of those 500 days. And you can do just that at MacBytes.fm. There was also the MacBiters who joined us live, sharing their lockdown stories and more. 
And another highlight was the MacBytes Choir, who made a recording of Happy Birthday for me, for my happy day in May. Then there was the final show where the choir reconvened for a rendition. In fact, it was a premiere rendition, wasn't it? Of Tracy's perfect tribute song to Marooned. Thank you to each and every one of you who joined us, be it for one show or all 500. Now, we already know that Kim was one of the 500ers, but if you were too, do let us know. Tracy not only attended many shows live, but has almost completed the Marooned Marathon, listening to all 500 shows on demand. Now, don't forget our promise of a reunion in December when we're on one of our laughable holidays. Now, given our catastrophic history with holidays, we'll give you plenty of warning when we're nearing the great date. We do love Christmas holidays, though, because we take almost five weeks off. So it's fabulous. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter and my Ship 30 for 30 adventures at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Have you read this? Read what? I'm working woman. What time do I have to read anything? This article about iOS 15 is very important. The last time I read anything about iOS they were talking about tinkering with me again. I didn't like the sound of it. You'll like this even less. Take a look. They're doing what? But why? I'm glorious just as I am. You'll be a lot less capable when they finish this round of tinkering. It'll be like having a lobotomy. You never really did enjoy overexerting yourself though did you? I like to think of it as pacing myself. That's one way to put it. Look on the bright side though. You'll have a legitimate reason to ignore her demands. There are times I really love you and your ideas. Steady on there boy. I'm assuming they're intending to nuke any amorous moves you might have the ability to make too.